Welcome to the Granary Church podcast. We're happy you could join us. For more information on the Granary Church, head to granary.org.au or follow our socials at the Granary Church. It's a real privilege to be here. Um, Rachel Hickson, married to a Gordon Hickson, who is in Melbourne. He's with a good friend and they're driving the Great Ocean Road. And they sent me to work. No. <laughs> um, we live in Oxford, UK. And um, my daughter came over here about 20 years ago. And she fell in love with an Aussie and married him. So I have a daughter who, believe it or not, is going to be 40. Deep breath. A son who's 37. They're both married. I've got six grandkids, three of them Aussie, three of them British. Guess which? Leela Cooper Alani. Margot, Jeremy, and Annabelle. <laughs> the Brits and the Oz. So we have many world wars in our house, usually around sport, rugby, and cricket. But cricket, quite honestly, it's not even worth the fight. <laughs> so I have the privilege of living in Oxford, UK. Um, we're part, well, my husband was the parish vicar of St. Aldays, Oxford, which makes us sound terribly darling, but our privilege was we were a big main city church with a conclectic crossroads of all sorts of incredible people, some who are going to be the future leaders, prime ministers, presidents, etc. God help us if you see them on Freshers' Day. But then we've got a very ordinary city. So about 40,000 are our students and about 50,000, 60,000 are just a very, very ordinary city. We've got the big BMW mini plant, Mini Cooper, is made in Oxford. So we've got a real factory that side. So there is both and in Oxford, which is really interesting. I love my city. It's a privilege to be there. I love the complexity of all those wonderful people. So our church is about average age 29 to 32. So I'm used to chin out what you think, prove it to me. I love that, Get put our heads together. And so we have the grandparenting and we have the young generation. We don't have a lot of parents with baby kids because it's so expensive. They usually live just outside <laughs> visiting. But that's a little bit... I'm not very English, although I might sound like a pom to you. I'm not really. I grew up in India for the first 16 years of my life. And so my head went this way. Oh, I'm really, really happy to see you. So I was educated in India, a mish kid and a preacher's kid. And then I went, came back to the UK, met my husband, didn't marry a pastor. I married a businessman. And interesting enough, we set up businesses to raise finance for Christian education. So we had a whole series of King schools in the UK, so that's quite interesting. So Gordon was in recruitment consultancy. I was a clinical biochemist. And so that was who we were. And then Jesus changes everything. So how many of you went to church before you were born? Hands right up and look around. I'm just intrigued. Yeah, about 50-50. Yeah, I was one of those, went to church before I was born and never really left, but thought about it. 
but I encountered Jesus. So I want to talk to you today and thank you, Matt, so much for sharing your story because in many ways you've set a lot of the testimony. So how does Jesus change lives? Well, there are those God encounters. That's what I want to speak about. God encounters. You know, as we pick up our Bible, we pick up in the middle of the book, there's the book of Psalms. And here we encounter a man, David, who was very emotionally vulnerable. He tells you how he's feeling, his high days, his low days. And in Psalm 42, verse 2, he says, It's my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with him? And I believe right through our society, even our church community, there is a spiritual hunger. People want to know, what is this God thing? Where can I go and meet with supernatural? Where can I see things that are beyond my experience? Where can I get help when my mental health and well-being just feels so tragic? Part of my work, I sit on several boards, but one of the boards I sit on is one of the big rehabilitation movements in the UK and Europe. And I meet again and again people, young men, outstanding, who have hit a road bump and now they're contemplating suicide rather than life. And the statistics are that that group of, you know, 18 to 35 young men are growing with a sense of hopelessness. And often I look at them, I said, what do you want? And they said, I want to know it works. I said, what is the it? Well, life for me and God in me. I want to know it works. All around us is a cry for more. Many people are not satisfied just with a visitation, 11 o'clock Sunday morning type thing. We're hungry to know more of the reality of God in the everyday 24-7. Our cry is becoming like that psalmist, where can I go and really meet with God? John Wesley, the great revivalist, said this, when divinity touches humanity, how can humanity expect stand. I mean, when we have God encounters, boom, something's meant to happen. There's meant to be a collision. It's meant to get messy. Things are meant to look different. And so often we just want a nice God, nicely packaged. Don't, you know, precious Sue this morning said, come on, risk. Come on, risk. Come on, risk. We think, "Uh uh-uh, don't mess with me. My friends, and I maybe need to give you a health warning, they call me a chocolate-covered hand grenade. (laughs) You got it. God one time said to me, Rachel, because I am a pastor, I love people. And he said, Rachel, I'm going to send you to comfort the afflicted. And I thought, that sounds nice. He said, but I'm also going to send you to afflict the comfortable. (laughs) That has got me in lots of trouble, just like Matt. I got expelled from school too at 15, Christian school. But you know why they expelled me? Slightly different reasons. They expelled me because I encountered God at 15. And I was in a Plymouth Brethren, very 
beautiful religious school supported. But I got baptised in the Holy Spirit and I encountered Jesus and I found a God who lit a fuse inside a very frightened girl. I had been so bullied all through school. It was a very, very strict boarding school, a thousand miles away from my parents. And the girl that had absolutely collapsed emotionally inside encountered Jesus. And where I was so withdrawn, he began to light a fuse and lit a tiger in my tank. He changed everything. Here was a girl who, if you ask me, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I did all my careers at 17. And I was smart and I aced it at school. But you do know why? Because I'd been bullied so badly, I hid in the library. Great thing about libraries, always a member of staff and you can't talk. So the bullies had to keep out. And so I just became a geek. And everyone thought, wow, Rachel, she aces it. My reports look superb. But the girl inside was broken. And so, what do you want to be? Missionary kids, preacher's kid. And they were all impressed because little Rachel, the perfect pastor's kid, would say, I want to be a medical missionary and go to Nepal and work with leprosy-affected people in Pokhara Shining Hospital. Wow, that has to be gone. It wasn't. It was my hiding place. And you see, sometimes we sculpture things that all look right. But if we're deeply, sincerely honest in that God encounter, we know God is saying, hello, I want you to do something different. The age of 17, I went up to some cow sheds where they were having a church camp. And a man was preaching about the kingdom of God. And something happened that re-stirred that little girl who got baptised in the in the spirit and woke her up. And he spoke about how the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, forgive, Matthew 10. And my little head went up and said, could you pick me? Someone who's failed to get into medicine, I just failed to get into medicine because I was so um, nervous about speaking. I passed every exam with A pluses, etc. But I failed my oral French exam and I failed my interview. And they said she hasn't got the personal skills to do medicine. I failed. That's when I met Gordon. He walked into my life and he said, Rachel, just because you failed, you're not a failure. And God and Gordon together changed my life and helped me discover And maybe you're in this room today and you're looking at your life and you're a little bit like that psalmist, David. Where can I go to really know that I'm doing the right thing in the right time in the right way and God is on me? And like Matt said, and God is flowing through me. I believe there are deep cries for God encounters in our life. And you only need one God encounter in some senses to radically shape you and change you. But you need a journey of encounters to keep you centred. How many would agree? And I think if you've got to a place where you're frustrated, maybe you're set for another encounter. Maybe you need to step back from all that you're doing and make position yourself for God to find you and you to find God. If I go through my life, there have been many key crossroad moments when I've looked at my life and I've thought, not that happy, not that satisfied. 
And as I've cried, sought the Lord with all my heart, he's found me and he's delivered me and he's spoken to me and he's helped me. And as we pick up this precious book, the Bible, it is the story of encounters. It's a story where Jesus gets hold of people and changes everything. Moses, this incredible baby born supernaturally, rescued by a princess of Pharaoh, brought up in the household, knowing that he was different, had a bit of a temper on him, ended up murdering one of the slaves because of the injustice. Runs away, finds a great girl, marries her, finds a great father-in-law, Jethro, who really helps and shapes him, learns to look after sheep. And he set up a good life now, considering he was a murderer and God. Moses, and he encounters the burning bush. And he's about 40 years old. He's got life sorted. He's now got his wife, great home, great business going with his sheep. He's got it. But God, hello. Caleb was 84. Come on, Caleb, you've got mountains still in you. And I believe in these days, it's days of great uncertainty. We've talked about it. One of the things I do is I actually, my ministry is called Heart Cry for Change and we work into Moldova, Ukraine. I've been working into Moldova for the last 14 years because of the sex trafficking and all of that. But then... Two years ago, everything changed because Moldova is one of the poorest nation of Europe, but it's a front line with Ukraine. So Maripel, Odessa, all that stuff comes up through. So at this moment, we have about 3,800 people that displace in Moldova, 10 and between 10 to 12,000. We never quite know because it's a bit free flow in Western Ukraine and five centers. And we're on winter project at the moment because it is like freezing cold. <laughs> Minus 30. And many of their buildings have no doors and windows. But we've had miracles of encounter. I work. When I say we, I always feel rather grandiose because I've got an incredible couple, Charlotte and Johannes Pettersson from Denmark, with 40 people there on the ground risking their lives every day. I raise funds. <laughs> Facilitate them. But that was a God encounter. You know how, what happened? I was sitting in Sydney having coffee with a friend. She said, I want you to meet a girl called Sharon Easton. At the same time, my colleague who works with me was in taking one of my meetings because I was in Sydney in the UK, a big missions thing, sitting with a woman who said, I need to talk to you. I need someone to help me. My woman in Sydney said, you need to meet Sharon Eason. My colleague was sitting with Sharon Eason saying, I need you to help me. How does God do that? God encounters. That opened all the doors for us to be in Moldova at such a time of this, to break the enemy's curse who would love to kill, steal, destroy. And we will go in there as the messengers of hope. Breaching this a bit differently. If you recall both, you can listen to both. I'm doing it almost deliberately. I was here a while ago and a girl, an Aussie girl, came to me and she said, I've been feeling something for Australia and I lost touch with her. Two years ago she wrote to me and I want to put this to you because I would, even Matt changed his story a bit and I think God wants you to hear it 
This girl said, God's been speaking to me that God wants to add a fourth emergency service in Australia. And I said, what do you mean? She said, well, we've got the fire, we've got the police, we've got the ambulance. But she said, God's going to add the first responders of hope. And that will be the church. God gives you a yellow coat. And he says, I'm going to make you the first responders of hope. You've encountered Jesus. Now go change the world. Now go feed the hungry, care for the poor, see the broken. There is so much hopelessness out there. In the bookshop, I have, I bought some books and I've given them to you. And everything that you sell is to go to your missions. I believe in missions. So if you buy a book today, that goes into your missions storehouse. I don't know where you give it. But the book, the most recent one is Hope Filled. Because I do believe that you as a church, Granary Centre, God wants to say to you, will you be the first responders of hope? Will you be those that have encountered Jesus and can then go display Jesus to others? Remember Peter? He was Peter and he was doing his business his ordinary life, but he got stuck. And Jesus said, hey, I pick you, come, follow me. And he did. And we see the encounters, you know, Matthew 16. You know, there's rumour mongering going on. Have you heard of this bloke, Jesus, reading the dead thing? Do you think he's real? Not real? Some say he's a prophet. Some say he's fake, deep fake, whatever fake, AI. So we go. And they all tried to check out who is this Jesus bloke. And finally Jesus calls, turns to his staff and says, who do you say I am? And Peter gets it right top of the clock you're the Christ son of the living God counter Jesus looks at him and said upon you upon this rock of revelation I can build a church and the gates of hell not prevail against it counter moments and we go through and then we get to Jesus on the just before the cross do you know Jesus nah I'm not a Jesus freak who do you think I am and someone else comes, no, you are one of those Jesus people. I've seen you go up to the church, you go up to Granary. You're one of those religious nuts. No, I'm not. I'm not a Jesus person. And then it starts a bit more. Yeah, I know you are. You are one of those nuts. You've seen, I've seen the Bible in your house. You are definitely a Jesus nutter, a religious freak. No, I, meep, beep, beep, effing am not. It said he cursed violently to prove his point. And then Jesus encounters him. He said, come Pete, let's go for a walk. Got some great beaches. And I've got a breakfast arranged. Peter, do you love me? Yes, God, I do. I've messed up. And things have distracted me and I've lost some of the purpose of my life. But deep, deep down, I love you, Jesus. Okay, come, let's walk. Peter, do you love me? Jesus, please, this is really awkward. I was wrong. Can't we just go fast forward now? I've done the I was wrong thing and Jesus said, ah, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Jesus, I do. So they walk on a little bit. Jesus looks again and says, Peter, do you really love me Peter pushes back in and says look please you know that I do 
And Jesus looks at him and said, Peter, you deny me three times. I needed you to break the confession of your mouth because now you have said yes three times. And I'm going to break the denial. And for some of you, I just feel that you've been through life and life has come at you. And it's just like you're swimming. Where is Jesus really in my world? But Jesus today is saying, come on. I know you love me, but I need to hear you say it. And there have been circumstances and things in the workspace or other spaces where you just know you haven't really lived the authentic Jesus life and people looking at you would be confused and you're confused. And Jesus in his graciousness is saying, hello, do you love me? And everything in us needs to cry. Yes, I do. And we need to cry it as many times as we've doubted it. We need to step back, disengage, and really come to those places where we just say, I know him, I know that I know that I know. Jesus, I love you. So why have I come from Oxford randomly to speak to you today? I believe that God wants you to understand how much Jesus changes your life, but how much the Jesus in you has the power to change lives. And that you are to be missional. God is stirring hunger all around you. There is a cry of hunger. I see this hunger expressed all over the world in different ways. First, I see hangry people. They got frustrated with church, frustrated with pastors, frustrated. I hate the church. I always go, ooh, that's a big statement. No, we don't. We just hate some of what is happening. But actually, Jesus loves the church, so we better learn to love it too. But we're hangry, we're frustrated, we're angry. But actually, we've been eating sugar snacks for far too long. We need to come back and behold Jesus. We need to put Jesus right in the centre. We're trying to feed the Jesus tank in the wrong place. It's like the psalmist, where do I go? Go to Jesus. Take time out. Spend some retreat time. Go for a walk with Jesus on the beach that Peter. Really begin to dig in and talk Jesus. You'll always live hangry if you don't really eat the fresh bread from Jesus. Church will never satisfy you. Jesus will. So one of the hungers I see is the hangry. We need to be Jesus and to be. Number two is I see a hunger for authentic relationships. As I said, I live in Oxford, a very diverse, ethnically diverse, generationally diverse, intellectually diverse, socially, economically diverse. I mean, we literally have the ups and outs, the highs, the lows, the professors, the unemployed. But we need authentic relationship. You know, when we walk into church and say, how are you doing? I'm fine. You're fine. We're all fine. We're all liars. You know what I mean. I believe that one of the things that COVID really did was shift our relational connects and authenticity. So we want people to look us in the face and say, what's your name? Tell me your story. Where are you doing? Are you hurting? Is there something I can do? Finish the conversations. And that's not just in the house, that's in community. And I believe one of the greatest privileges we have, like I said, in times of great uncertainty, great opportunity, is to build authentic relationships. 
People are looking to be known and heard. As leaders, we need to learn to be good listeners. There is so much isolation and loneliness, and people are watching for genuine connections that are trustworthy and safe. Finally, number three, under my hunger, the cry for hunger, the final hunger I see, number three, is a hunger for purpose and legacy. People want to leave a mark. People want to campaign for certain things. They want to influence legacy. People want to say, I want to know what I'm here for. And it doesn't matter if you're over 60 or 25. I mean, I work amongst students and the campaigning. We need to leave a mark for justice, for hope, for the future. And what a privilege we have in Jesus because we have the privilege to create legacies from generation to generation. We, need, we have the privilege to mentor. I think one of the, my greatest joys of living in Oxford is I find my, my left and my right raise up the next generation, give them a starting place that was far beyond where I started. Come on, let's find people and make them look good. I always say the leader's privilege is to make other people look good. I believe there's a cry for hope. I said that book on hope. There is so much hopelessness, confusion. But the church has the privilege of being those first responders of hope. And we should not be ashamed because we carry the good news. We are the good news stories. We're allowed to give a good perspective. You know, some people say, oh, yeah, shut up. The best is yet to come. But the thing is... However cringy it might sound, it actually is true. God has got an upgrade for you. God saves the best things till now. There is a journey from glory to glory. And so we should not be embarrassed. The prophetic cry all the way through the Bible. You read Isaiah, you read Jeremiah. They're always saying, get up, watch. He's coming. It's going to be good news. And your News 7 News, 9, CBN, Fox News, BBC, God help us. We're all going to die. We're going to be starved. We're going to be burnt to death. We're going to drown. If you were in England, you were drowning. Here, you're going to burn. Um, and so it goes on. And you're going to be bankrupt. And you can't pay for your utility bill. And so it goes on and on and on. And the negative narrative is so overwhelming that we always feel embarrassed to tell the good news story. But we have good news. We do have good news. And Jesus can deliver. He can save. He can rescue. Job 14 puts it like this. At least there is hope for the tree. If it is cut down, it will sprout again. Its new shoots will not fail. Its roots may be old in the ground. But... At the scent, can you smell it? At the scent of water, it will sprout again. Come on, you live in the tropical. You know what it is when you've had a stinking hot day and you can smell the rain before you feel it. Can you smell the rain of the goodness of God? We might be feeling like we're going to be burnt up. It might feel like a wilderness, but I tell you, God's got his rain and there's good roots in the ground. There are people who've prayed. There's people who've invested. There are people who've pulled their life and those roots will not fail. 
But there's new encounter times. The rain of God pouring on the land, awakening it. And God will encounter you. As I finish what I say this morning, I want to just finish with this phrase. Because as I was praying, I heard God say it over you individually, but I felt also over a church, the Grain Church. And it was this phrase, I will restore. You know, the roots are old in the ground. You might think someone's hacked me off, cut me down. I'm nothing. But God says, but it's still in the soil. It's still in the soil. You know, like the children of Israel, they moved for 40 years, but they moved in circles. They never had the courage to advance into the next encounter. They got stuck with the one encounter. But God says, I've got a promised land. And Joshua said, wow, but that city's tightly shut up. And God says, it's okay. I can help you, but step back, get down. And let me meet with you. I believe for some of you, you're looking at circumstances, situations. You're standing at crossroads and you're thinking, I know I need the next level. I know I need a new encounter. It isn't you need a new God. You just need a new understanding of who God is in your season right now. And he wants to meet with you like he met with Joshua and said, I'm the Lord, the captain of the hosts. And gave him strategy. Like he met with Moses and refired the deliverer anointing upon him. Like he met with Esther and put courage in her to stand for the broken and for her nation, even if she perished and lost her reputation. God's calling you too. And he said, I want to counter you so that through you, you can fulfill all the promises and advance into the land I will restore. So as we come, I want you just to close your eyes in the presence of God. And I want to just ask two questions, really. I've already said that you need a Jesus-centric life if you're going to live a Jesus-fulfilled life. No church can save us because no church died for us. But Jesus did. And you need to know that Jesus is in your life. That you're not watching from a distance, but you have made an intentional decision to let Jesus be in your life. And that takes a time and place. I've been married for 44 years. And I know that because on March the 21st, 1980, I said, I take you, Gordon Crawford, Fitzgerald, Hickson. He's quite aristocratic as my husband. I'd fancied him for ages. I hoped he loved me. But I knew that day he's mine. And sometimes we come to church and we, we hang around Jesus, but we're not really sure. Today you can know. I take you, Jesus, to be my Lord, my Saviour. And so I'm going to count one, two, three. And if you're not really sure that Jesus is yours and you're his, sign the contract today. Say, here I am, Jesus, I'm yours. And you will know. You don't have to guess. So as the eyes are closed, I'm just going to say one, two, three. And if you want to know Jesus is in your life, just put your hand up and I want to pray for you. 
One, two, three. Thank you. And as you sit there and contemplate that, I want to pray for one second group of people. And you are people who know that you have given your life to Jesus. But if you're really honest, Jesus, you're a bit like Peter and Jesus at the moment. You're denying him in a lot of areas of your life because it's inconvenient. And you can feel Jesus saying, hey, do you really love me? And your heart's a bit broken. You're saying, yes, God, you know I do. But I know I haven't been doing it great. And I'm sorry, God. I want you back in the centre place. And then there's part of you that just saying, God, I want you. Absolutely centre. I'm sorry. Got offended. I've been messing around a bit. But I want you, Jesus. Then one, two, three. I just would love you to put your hands up and I want to pray for you too. One, two, three. Just do that in the presence of God. Thank you. I want you just to take a moment, just keep those hands. I've asked people to close their eyes, but you just keep that hand with Jesus. And I want you to take his hand and I want you to look into his face and say, God, help me live this life. God really bless you. Now I want us to seal that with a prayer. If we can pray all together, as I say it, just say it out loud back with me. One, two, three. Jesus, today, I give you my life 100%. I'm sorry for the wrong choices that I have made. Please forgive me. But today, I choose you. And I want you to be right in the centre of my life. 100%. Jesus, help me live life well. Encounter me. Help me. Amen. God hears that. And if you prayed that prayer this morning, then as on your way out, as you have coffee and track, just find someone and say, you know what? I prayed that prayer this morning and I want to live a real Jesus life. And I believe right in this house, there are encounters coming. People need Jesus. Amen. God really bless you. Thank you so much for inviting me here. Thank you for listening to our Sunday podcast. If you enjoyed it, either subscribe or follow on the podcast app that you use to keep up to date on when our next Sunday podcast gets released. Have a safe and blessed week.